In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Easter. I'm coming to you from my office in the Magruder house, where I'm surrounded by what you can see are toys and uh, trinkets and all sorts of weird things, from many of which are from my childhood. Uh, maybe you have a cocoon that you've developed these past few weeks. Well, this is, this is mine. Um, I'm happy to be giving the sermon this morning. I only wish it was uh, in person, that I could be with you and uh, respond to you and hear what is going on in your lives during this really quite surreal time. Um, The passage this morning that we've been given, that we're always given the week after Easter, is a curious one, but it's one of another sort of uncanny uh, assignment, and it's the passage about doubting Thomas. Now, as my friend uh, Chad Bird has said, you know, we, we call him Doubting Thomas. He's one of the only um, figures in the New Testament or in the Bible period who's got an insult attached to his name. You know, um, we don't call Peter denying Peter. And we don't call Judas betraying Judas. But we do call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Now, this theme of doubt, it is um, not foreign to us. And it's not foreign to us right now. You know, doubt is essentially uncertainty. And we, always in life, we feel uncertain about things. But now is a time, of course, of amplified doubt. Now, I have to ask you, what is it that you harbor doubt about right now? Uh, I'm going to list a few things that sort of occurred to me that I've heard both out there and, of course, inside my own uh, beating heart. There's uh, there's first and foremost the doubt that this will end, that the coronavirus, that we'll have a a vaccine and uh, the uncertainty about when and how that will happen. We are beginning to speak about that that process, but it is a it's there's doubt on all sides. Then there's the sort of, I think, a deeper doubt, which is the doubt that things will ever really return to normal, um, that our kids will ever go back to school, that we'll ever be able to celebrate our sort of older parents' birthdays with them in person. Uh, just this morning, I ran across yet another article that says, this is the end of the office as we know it. But I'm sure you've heard similar such prognostications about um There will be a new normal, and it is yet to emerge. And that fills us with doubt. What will my place in this new normal be? Will I be able to handle it? Uh, Then there's the doubt that we'll ever feel safe in a crowd again. I think about this as, 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 you know, you hear about football seasons, and you hear about, um, you know, concerts, and large gatherings of people, conferences in my own context, even church gatherings. It doesn't feel good to be suspicious of other people, I don't think. And that is what, of course, this, uh, this pandemic has forced us to adopt that posture of distance, which can be so painful and uh, really, you know, corroding over time. Uh, there's financial doubt. And this is very real, and I think it's something that we all, um, you know, uh, harbor to some degree or another as we hear report after report about the economy. We doubt that we'll be able to, to pay our bills when this is all over, or even while it's still happening. We doubt that we'll be able to find a new job, a more steady, more essential job 
We doubt that we'll be able to fulfill the commitments we've made to the, the responsibilities that we have. Um, and then, of course, we, we doubt those of us who are quarantined with our loved ones. Maybe we doubt that we'll be intact when this is all over. Uh, we'll doubt that we're, we're, we're fraying. Uh, in my house, things are starting to really feel kind of ripe with three little boys. Uh, it's, you, you doubt that um, uh, things will, uh, he, he, that, that people will be able to love you having spent this much time with you during this time. Um, and then, of course, there's doubt, doubt of oneself. You know, I've got these, this little, uh, excuse me, uh, the guys from The Muppet Show, Statler and Waldorf, who, you know, famously heckle Kermit the Frog whenever he was giving any kind of monologue. And they were merciless with their puns and with their jeering. But maybe you've got a Statler and Waldorf inside your own head. I think many of us do. The voice of the inner critic, the inner jester, who... Um, causes you to doubt not only society or your health, but your own ability to function well within it. And I think on a deeper level, we, we, doubt, we doubt God. We doubt God's presence. Uh, more painfully, we think we doubt God's goodness. Um, maybe you're the sort of person like me that you sort of doubt that God will, will show up until, until he actually does. Um, it's amazing to see uh, people, faithful, church-going people, whose, whose faith just sort of dries up during uh, when confronted with adversity. It doesn't mean that um, they're, they're just as human as, as you or I. Uh, and you also see people who function quite the opposite. Um, but, you know, during, during this season of Easter, there's then the even deeper doubt, which is the doubt that Easter is, is true. Um, doubt uh, in the face of death, and that is what we are surrounded with, uh, mortality and suffering. We doubt the hope of the resurrection. So we doubt. Filled with doubt, heads full of doubt, as the Avid brothers put it. But let's look at the scene, because it's another very eerie one when you, when you get down to it. You'll notice that the disciples are on lockdown. It says they're in a room and it's the behind a locked door. No kidding. This time, this Easter time, when life is supposed to be, they're supposed to be full of joy, you know, and the reports of some of them have seen the risen Christ and, and, and their, their hope has been fulfilled, you would think, and yet here they are afraid, cowering, not knowing what it means and waiting for some go ahead, some sign that things will be okay. And so there's, there's hope and there's, there's excitement, but there's also, you know, it's the evening time. There's also darkness. There's an emotional sort of, uh, you, know, um, you know, reserve, fear, confusion, spiritually dark, even though the resurrection is behind them. And yet what happens? We are told that Jesus comes to them and he doesn't just come to them in any place. He comes to them in their isolation. You know, the singer John Prine, uh, the great American treasure who died this past week, one of his most famous uh, songs, you probably know it, or maybe, maybe you remember it, uh, Spanish Pipe Dream, where a woman gives a, a sort of a drifter some advice to blow up your TV, throw away your paper, go to the country, build you a home. In fact, to go into isolation. 
Plant a little garden. Eat a lot of peaches. Try and find Jesus on your own. And isn't that what we often do in these times of isolation? We, we think it's up to us to find Jesus on our own. And yet here, Jesus is finding them. And he's finding them. He, Jesus is not to be found, if you want to globalize it a little bit more, Jesus is not to be found on the other side of fear and confusion and withdrawal. Jesus, uh, Jesus is not to be found when we get back to the church building into our uh, comfort zone. Jesus comes to them he, in their, where they are sheltering in place, which means he comes to you right now, right now. And what he says, his greeting, is not a chastisement or a wagging finger, but simply peace be with you. We hear him say this twice in this passage. And that is the tone that he sets. That is the great foundation with which the, uh, Jesus, this resurrected Christ has come uh, to his disciples, those who betrayed him, those who uh, faith faltered in the midst of adversity, and he comes and he says, peace be with you. And what about Thomas? Because Thomas isn't present when he first breaks through the lockdown. Well, uh, he comes back. He comes back again. Um, and when he sees Thomas, to this Thomas who says, I will not believe unless I'm able to put my finger in the hole well, he doesn't rebuff him. He does not um, lecture him. He does not reprimand him. Jesus moves toward him and invites Thomas to touch him. You'll notice that this comes right after his injunction to the other disciples to that any person's sins that they forgive will be forgiven. This is because Thomas's lack of belief, his unbelief in the midst of 10 reliable, you would think, uh, you know, witnesses that he's surrounded by, that he refuses to believe, his unbelief. You could call it a sin. You could call it a, a you know, a, um, a, a, we, we, we talk in the Christian faith about the root of all sin is unbelief. And uh, here you have Jesus coming towards Thomas in his doubt, but also in his failure to believe, to trust, in spite of all of the, the trustworthy people around him. And he comes to him not with a, uh, a lesson, but with an invitation, with grace, in other words. Maybe, I'm sure you've, you, you, you know the wonderful painting, The Incredulity of St. Thomas by Caravaggio, the, the second version of which I think was discovered like 10 years ago, and it was, uh, it was uh, this great big thing in the art world. Well, it's a beautiful painting. I invite you this week to take a look at it, because you see this Thomas, who is not willing to go on hearsay, but needs physical reality, tangible facts. And Jesus looks down at Thomas as he's putting his finger into his side, and he does it. He's not in, he doesn't do it with pain. He doesn't do it with um, judgment but almost with a plaintive uh, invitation. He's, he, makes him, he makes himself more accessible to Thomas rather than less. And you see the surprise. Uh, in spite of all that he th thinks should be true, you see the surprise on his face, and he realizes what actually is true. The disciples, by the way, 
you can notice that perhaps some of that peace has passed on to them. Maybe uh, some of that Easter joy, because they they don't try to, uh, you know, dissuade Thomas from having that conversation, that embarrassing encounter with Jesus. If they're convinced, and and then Thomas insists on making uh, Jesus go through this song and dance, you you would think that the the disciples might might want their might want their risen Lord to be respected more deeply, but that's not what happens. And then, of course, he's, Thomas is not only not kicked out, he is invited and he sees what's going on and he, 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 he tests it for himself. And his response is one of the most dramatic pronouncements of belief in the entire Bible. It's not, oh, it's you, but my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus does not correct him. He allows that just to stand now the point, sometimes you hear the story of Doubting Thomas and you hear it, it is taught as a kind of a fable of doubt and how doubt's not the end of the world and how doubt is a you know, good thing. And almost in our current situation, we, we, we want to lionize doubt. We want to lift it up as sometimes virtuous. And that is, you know, doubt is clearly a part of faith. Um, we all have our doubts. I have doubts. You know, we all toggle between uh, certainty and doubt or faith and doubt. And yet doubt is painful. Doubt is, is no one wants to be in doubt that, that their spouse loves them. Uh, you know, I, I see, you could see the, the single from the uh, band Hot Chocolate, the disco group from England in the 70s. They have a song called No Doubt About It. Now they're talking about aliens <laughs> UFOs. But um, no doubt about it. That's what I want to hear when it comes to uh, love. And that's what I want to hear when it comes to God. And that's what Thomas uh, receives. The message here is not that uh, doubt is somehow uh, virtuous. The message here is that the grace of God comes to doubters, that Jesus offers compassion, grace, and mercy even to them, even to those who refuse to believe, who find that more comfortable, or those who, who, who cannot bring themselves to believe. Um, he doesn't come with another question or with a doubling down on doubt. He comes, he comes with an invitation. He comes with himself, with a relationship, with good news the good news that the deepest doubts are doubts about death has in fact been answered. And you'll notice uh, he connects with Thomas, not arbitrarily, but through his wounds. It is the wound that Thomas sees. It is the wound that he longs to touch. Uh, and this is um, how Jesus comes to you and me not in our mountaintop experiences or when we have it all together, but in the places where we're frail, where we're full of fear and uncertainty. His wounds here, again, are not um, incidental. They are the reminder, the visceral, not just reminder, but uh, foundation proof that God's presence and coverage with you and me is not impeded by the thing that we have the most doubt about, 
which is physical death. You see, Christ does not abandon Thomas to his doubts. He does not abandon his disciples to their fear and confusion. And he does not abandon you either. In fact, he does not abandon you to danger or even to death. That is the Easter hope uh, that I wanted to share this morning. No doubt about it, my friends. The Lord is risen. Amen.